0: I'm David Atterbury, and this is Big Truths, a weekly podcast where we grow in Christian doctrine by looking through the door of church history. Well, we began last week by looking at the topic of cremation. We examined the historical roots of it, as well as how the Christian church has responded to cremation throughout church history. It is actually a very modern allowance by the global Christian churches to allow for cremation. Historically, it's been forbidden among Christians. But what matters most is what we believe the Bible says about cremation. So we believe that Scripture is our final authority. To disbelieve or to disobey the Bible is to disbelieve or to disobey God. As we consider our own funeral practices and what they might teach others about the Christian doctrine of the resurrection, The question we need to ask is whether we will allow the culture to determine what we will do, or will we let the doctrine of creation, the biblical doctrine of humanity, and the doctrine of the return of Christ and of the resurrection inform our practices? There's two things we need to consider today. First, we need to look at the passages of the Bible that speak about cremation you might think, I never knew there were passages in the Bible that spoke on this. But yes, there are three passages of Scripture that speak about cremation. And secondly, we need to consider how the Bible speaks about fire. Should Christians be comfortable subjecting their deceased loved ones to fire when considering the conceptual world of the Bible and how it uses fire in its symbolism? So these are matters that require wisdom. These are matters that require us to think slowly and deeply and thoughtfully about this. And we're going to walk carefully through this topic on this episode of Big Truths. So, there are only three texts that indirectly reference cremation, as a burial practice in the Bible. Two of them are exceptions in times of war, and one is a passage of judgment against a nation. So the first passage is this. It's in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. All three of these passages are in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 31, beginning in verse 8, it says this. Now it happened on the next day that the Philistines came to strip the slain, and they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. Then they cut off his head and stripped off his weapons and sent them all around the land of the Philistines to proclaim the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. And they placed his weapons in the house of Ashtaroth and fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Then the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. So all the valiant men arose and walked all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the walls of beth And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So what happened in this passage? Well, the bodies of Saul and his three sons were captured by the Philistines. They were already dead. Their enemies desecrated the bodies, cutting off their heads and pinning the bodies to the wall. And then the valiant men of Jabesh Gilead heard about what happened. Under the cover of night, they took the bodies down and they burned them. They took their bones and buried them under a tree. And then they fasted. Now, we can assume that the bodies of Saul and his sons were probably very badly decomposed. And so, looking on a map, the distance from this wall all the way to Jabesh-Gilead would have been about ten miles. And so, we read the men cremated the bodies rather than carrying four corpses that would have been... uh, quite deceased. Uh, Someone who's been very helpful in thinking through this is Decker. He wrote an article on cremation. He says this, It was probably considered more honorable to cremate the royal retinue than attempt to haul the mutilated, stinking bodies elsewhere for the usual Jewish burial ceremonies. And then what happens next in the next book of the Bible? In 2 Samuel chapter 2, David commended the men for the kindness they showed Saul by doing this. The Bible says this, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 5, And David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed of Yahweh, because you have shown this loving kindness with your Lord, with Saul, and have buried him. It would, however, be inappropriate to consider that this verse be used to normalize the practice of cremation. We have to understand how this would have played out in the context. The narrative just simply describes what happened and I believe this was an exception during a time of war. Well that's the first passage that we have that describes in the Bible indirectly the practice of cremation. We don't see This being widely adopted afterwards, as if this were a new funeral practice that was invented and then it just took off. And suddenly the Israelites started cremating bodies. Uh, We don't have that anywhere in the Bible. Well, what's the second passage? Well, the second passage is from the book of Amos, chapter 6. Verse 8 begins this way. Lord Yahweh has sworn by himself... Yahweh, God of hosts, has declared, I abhor the lofty pride of Jacob and hate his citadels. Therefore I will deliver up the city as well as its fullness. And it will be, if ten men are left in one house, they will die. Then one's uncle, or the one who burns his bones, will lift him up to bring out his bones from the house, and he will say to the one who is in the innermost part of the house, Is anyone else here with you? and that one will say no one then he will answer keep quiet for the name of yahweh is not to be mentioned so what's happening in this passage well the lord prophesied judgment by military invasion through his prophet amos to israel the ruin of this judgment would be so great that one house will have the bodies of 10 men and so in amos chapter 6 verse 10 Reading from the New American Standard, it says this, And if a relative or his undertaker will lift him up to carry out his bones from the house. Now that word undertaker, it's literally the one who burns him. And so the Legacy Standard Bible translates it this way, as I just read, Then one's uncle or the one who burns his bones will lift him up to bring out his bones from the house. So what's happening in this passage? I believe it's saying that the aftermath of the prophesied judgment, it's going to be so bad with so few survivors that it's not going to be possible to bury all the dead in Zion. So Amos 6 talks about one man for 10 dead people. The imagery is that there's going to be 10 dead people per one survivor. And so think about, the spread of disease. It's going to become a public health crisis. So therefore, the only solution that would be available to the living is to cremate the masses of the dead, to have mass burials. So Decker says this in his article, In the carnage of war, normal burial is not always possible, especially when the number of casualties is high. So again, again, just like in the passage we read previously. Again, this is a passage that's an exception, I believe, in a time of war, where cremation was seen as the only option to dispose of the large numbers of the dead. Again, we don't see elsewhere throughout the Bible that now cremation has been adopted in Israel, that this now is a common burial practice in times of peace. Now, we've only seen this twice, and both are in contexts of war where there are exceptions. Well, where's the third passage? It's also in the book of Amos, it's in chapter 2. Amos chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says this Thus says Yahweh, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not turn back its punishment, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom. To lime. So I will send fire upon Moab, and it will consume the citadels of Kerioth, and Moab will die amid great rumbling, amid a shout and the sound of a trumpet. I will also cut off the judge from her midst and kill all her princes with him, says Yahweh. So, what's happening in the context of Amos? What's happening is judgment after judgment is being proclaimed to the nations for three sins and for four. There's this pattern that's being uh, repeated for three transgressions and for four. So there's wicked things that the nations around Israel are doing. Eventually it's going to culminate with the sins of Judah and Israel. But these other wicked pagan nations, they're doing things that the Lord disproves of. And among the list of wicked nations, Moab is singled out. And their sins are publicly recorded for us. So what's the reason that the Lord promises to not turn back his wrath? It's this. From the Legacy Standard Bible, again, it says this. Because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. That's Amos 2, verse 1. So what's happening here? I think most likely, Moab being represented by its king, kind of federally representing the whole nation, he, the king, he, Moab, appears he desecrated the tomb of the king of Edom, dragging out his body and then burning his bones until the bones fell apart like chalky lime powder. Now notice the judgment is not for tomb raiding. Uh, It's specifically for burning the body burning the body with the intention to profane the body with fire. And consequently, as we see throughout Amos, the judgment for all of the nations, the punishment fits the crime. So the Lord, as it were, through his prophet, is prophesying creative punishments for the crimes. They match and parallel one another. So the Lord says, So I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the strongholds. Decker says this in his article, Although one must be careful not to transfer inappropriately what was perhaps a deliberate war atrocity to normal funeral practice, the point of the text of Amos, Decker says, is significant in this regard, when considering if it's wise for a Christian to cremate their loved ones. But it's not legitimate to cite this as a proof text, Amos 2, to forbid cremation in all situations, Decker says. So we have to be wise about these things. So yes, there are three passages in the Old Testament that talk about cremation. Two of them are an exception in times of war. No judgment is mentioned about them. They seem to be very value-neutral. David even commends the treatment Of Saul as a kindness to him and he invokes the blessing of the Lord because the men of Jabesh Gilead uh, wanted to treat the body rightly so they burn his body of the flesh which would have been stinking and putrefied after sitting out in the hot Sun pinned to the wall and they take the body down they treat it respectfully and they bury his bones under a tree In the second passage, we understand is one of necessity, one survivor for ten bodies. And this survivor would have had to uh, burn or cremate the bodies, lest disease go throughout the city. In the third passage, they burned the body, not as a normal funeral practice, but they burned the body specifically to commit a war atrocity, to desecrate the dead body of the king. So we shouldn't immediately say, aha, we have our passages of Scripture. Cremation is wrong. No, we shouldn't be so simple about that. We need to think wisely about these things. And so we would say these three passages are indirectly referencing cremation. Let's think now about fire as a sign of judgment. So the second thing we need to do today is think about the conceptual world of the Bible. How does it use its analogies? It's symbolism. How does the Bible connect the judgment of God, His displeasure, His wrath, with fire? Many times, the Lord uses fire to bring death and judgment. Think about Nadab and Abihu. They brought unauthorized incense into the holy place. And we read in Leviticus 10, And fire... Came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And the Lord did not respect the offering of Korah and his rebellious company. Numbers chapter 16. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. Things interesting, both these men, Korah and the company, and Nadab and Abihu, all offered incense. A burnt offering, burning something, in offer to the Lord, incense, thinking they would worship the Lord, and the Lord consumed them with fire. You remember Achan, the great troubler of Israel, with his secret sin? Joshua 7 says this, And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones they burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. Think about the enemies of Elijah. They were consumed with a fire that fell down from heaven. The first group of 50 men and then another group of 50 men. We read about that in Second Kings chapter 1. We should also think about how death by fire was used in two exceptional cases in the Levitical code. The first is this, Leviticus 20. If a man takes a woman and her mother also, it is depravity. He and they shall be burned with fire, that there may be no depravity among you. The second place is this, Leviticus 21. And the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. So the mode of these two capital punishments is singled out as particularly heinous. Even among the list, if you look in the context, it includes human sacrifice, witchcraft, cursing parents, adultery, homosexuality, incest, and bestiality. Among all of these sins, only two of them are death by fire, which is what we've read. So, death by fire was supposed to be an exceptional judgment, meant to rid God's people of this evil among themselves. So, again, as with the three passages above, we should not read into these passages a normative pattern for funerals. These texts do not explicitly prohibit cremation as a practice. So, listen... Let me be clear. To cremate is not a sin. I'll say it again. To cremate is not a sin. Now, your attitude in doing so might be sinful. If you're cremating explicitly because you disagree with the Christian doctrine of the resurrection, then that would be sin. But just to cremate itself as an act, I would say it's not a sin. But we must, however, consider how events such as these in the Bible, the punishment by fire, we must consider how events such as these would have transformed the moral imagination of God's people. One author said this, Such a history of judgment by fire, it hardly provided a positive incentive for the burial practice of cremation. Elsewhere in the Bible, God's wrath, it's symbolized by fire. For example, the arrogant nation of Assyria and its king are going to be judged. The Lord God of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors, and under his glory, a burning will be kindled, like the burning of a fire. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 16. We read later that the Lord will consume the nations with fire. Quote, "...behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger, and in thick rising smoke his lips are full of fury, and his tongue is like a devouring fire." Isaiah 30, verse 27. We read elsewhere in Isaiah that the place of a judgment for Assyria's king, it's likened to a crematorium. Quote, "...for a burning place has long been prepared." Indeed, for the king it is made ready. Its pyre is deep and wide, with fire and wood in abundance. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of sulfur, kindles it. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 33. All throughout the prophets, the wrath of God is akin to a fire. Quote, Remove the foreskins of your hearts, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn. With none to quench it. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4. We read in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 18 On the day of the wrath of the Lord, in the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 says this For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming, shall set them ablaze and that's just the old testament in the new testament we frequently have fire used in the place of god's judgment every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire matthew chapter 3 verse 10 it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet, to be thrown into the eternal fire. Matthew chapter 18, verse 8. And then again in Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Paul tells us that our work as Christians will be judged as through fire. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 1 Corinthians 3.13 We read elsewhere that the end-time judgment of Christ is almost always associated with fire. The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance, 2 Thessalonians 1.7. Hebrews 10.27 says this, A fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. In 2 Peter 3.7, we read the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Jude 7 Sodom and Gomorrah serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Revelation 8:5. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. Revelation 19:20. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. So, again, let me be clear. None of these passages that I've read today, none of them explicitly forbid cremation. I'll say it again. To cremate is not a sin. I want to be clear on that. You have not sinned simply by choosing to cremate your loved one. But, but, we must also weigh the collective force of all of these passages— and the many others not mentioned, when we consider how to handle the bodies of our deceased loved ones, just think, what association does fire invoke in our imaginations? We need to ask, as Christians, should we be comfortable subjecting our loved ones to fire when considering the conceptual world of the Bible and how it uses fire in its symbolism of judgment. These are important matters. I hope you'll keep thinking about this. I hope you'll keep listening. We're not done yet. We're only halfway through. we got two more episodes. It's important for you to listen to those as well. So I want to thank you for listening to Big Truths. For more information and for all these end notes, you can go to our website, bigtruths.net. These are important discussions. We're not done yet. Come back next week where we will discuss more about what the New Testament says about how we ought to view our bodies in light of the doctrine of creation, in light of the doctrine of the return of Christ and of the resurrection. And I'll meet you again next week where we will open another door for more Big Truth.